0: One of the privileges God has given us, you didn't just have a baby. There's a a human soul that's going to live forever in heaven or hell apart from Christ. What is the most important goal you can have for a child? Well, if you're an American, get a good education, make a lot of money, have a good time. If eternity is real, and it is, then if I am discipling this new soul that God has given me, then the greatest goal is getting into heaven, not
1: necessarily getting into Harvard. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we're going to talk about Psalm 78 with my good friend Chap Bettis as he explains to us how this song teaches us that the priorities of what we ought to be passing on to the next generation are not earthly treasures, but heavenly ones. Stay tuned for that. But first, we're talking once again with Bill Mounts as we pack unpack the various questions that the world is asking and answering them with the authority of the Word of God. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. Are you prepared to answer the questions that this generation is asking about the Bible, about the church, and about Christianity in general? We've been thinking about theology and doctrine over the course of this year and really trying to help you and challenge you to think deeper in your Christian walk because we're seeing a landscape that is changing drastically. And we need individuals like yourself who know the answers, know the truth, know the Word of God so that you're prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you about your hope in Christ. This is the foundation of what we believe. And that's why I'm so excited to be joined by a scholar and a Bible teacher and the author of a new book called Why I Trust the Bible. were are joined once again by William D. Mounds. Bill, this is a subject that I think is crucial, especially in our day, that you address in the book is the, the historicity of Jesus and how we understand who he is and what he has accomplished and what he has done. I find this so ironic within our culture today because we have a history book, we have a document written by scholars that even secular scholars will acknowledge is so close to uh, what we know about Jesus, and yet people in our modern day have recreated a Jesus in their own mind without any source documents. It just seems so utterly illogical to have this idea even framed within our culture. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, Jesus mythicism that Jesus never existed, it's got to be one of the strangest things. And even Bart Ehrman aggressively denies that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is very interesting. But there are people that think that Jesus never existed. And um The fact, I mean, how odd would it be if the single most influential person in the history of the world never existed? Well, um, he did exist. We have enough historical references, two in Josephus, four in Greek literature, some in Roman literature, uh, that that clearly sets Jesus as an historical figure. You also can't explain the rise of Christianity without an historical Jesus. Uh, A lot of religions don't need Uh, Confucianism would be Confucianism if Confucius never lived. Uh, That that set of beliefs are not grounded in historical person and historical events. Christianity is. Mm. And if Jesus were not an historical character, which means there would be no resurrection, uh, there would be no Christian faith.
1: Mm. So the
2: very existence of the The nature of the Christian faith is a strong argument for the historical existence of Jesus as well. Hmm. I kind of hated to start with that topic in the book because it's the one that people go, what on earth? Uh, But I I try to do things chronologically. So I, I started with that.
1: I think it's important, too, because we also live in an age where people have created a fictitious mindset of what the Jesus is that they want to follow. It's sort of the, uh, you know, uh, the Gandhi-esque version of Jesus, right, without actually reading who Jesus was or what Jesus actually taught or what he claimed about himself. And that entail leaves us very vulnerable to having these arguments completely dismantle our beliefs.
2: The the search for the historical Jesus, as it's called, is one of the longest ongoing debates in especially liberal scholarship. And I think I quote Mark Strauss as to all the different kinds of Jesus that scholars have created. And, you know, if you have strong political feelings, then you have a a Jesus that was primarily concerned about uh, social, uh, you know, uh, Inequality among nations, or if you know, if you think that Jesus was about uh, helping the poor, then you have a social justice Jesus, and so forth and so on. And again, as people, uh, it it starts because a lot of people don't accept the existence of the miraculous. Mm-hmm. So you you can't have a virgin birth, you can't have miracles, you certainly can't have a resurrection, and so you're you're pulling all these pieces out of the gospel story, and you say, well, what's left? Well. Jesus must have been a kind, gentle person preaching, as we used to say, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of all people. Um, well, that's, you know, you, you have to get rid of Matthew 24. You have to get rid of huge chunks of the Bible to make Jesus this kind of pablum teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's been going on for easily for 200 years of people recreating Jesus. It's a canon within a canon again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why they do it, a lot of it just has to do with the refusal to accept the possibility of the miraculous. And mm-hmm. so when you throw those parts away, you got to figure out, well, what other parts can I throw away to get a, a picture of a Jesus that I like or I think could have been real?
1: It's interesting because this is common even within the church, where where so-called Christians, people who claim to follow Christ and and worship on a, a regular basis, still have issues of of seeing Jesus as something that they have imagined without reading the source material. I mean, if we're pulling out from a vacuum and recreating Jesus, that's not very uh, that's not very critical thinking. I mean, that's certainly not scholarship.
2: And you could have no assurance that it's real. Yeah, my my friend who got rid of all the punishment and anger parts of Jesus and the Old Testament and only has this loving grandfather kind of Jesus, he has no assurance it's real. It's, it's completely made up in his head. I mean, for most people, the the, the the distinction is God is a God of love and God is a, is a God of um, anger and wrath. And you know, the fact that matters, God is as loving as he is just, and he is as just as he is loving. And both are held in perfect balance in his character. And thankfully, God is a patient God and will forgive if you truly repent. But there is an end to God's patience, and he has to punish sin, Romans 3. Uh, He has to punish sin if he himself is going to be righteous. You can't be righteous and ignore sin. And so we see a, a lot of punishment in the Old Testament, but a lot of graciousness, and kindness, and mercy. He was so patient with Israel. Holy Toledo Um, (laughs) was he patient with them hundreds, and hundreds, and hundreds of years, and people need to look at that, and they need to understand that's a God of love. Mm. That's a a God who's calling his people back to himself, and he's so patient, but there's an end to the patience, and so they have to go into captivity, but then he brings them back. Why? Because he's a faithful, chesed kind of God, and he loves them, and he's faithful to his character. Uh, in the New Testament, you have clear messages that God is love, but you also have this just a stinging indictment of the religious leaders and the, you watch a whitewashed tombs. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone who comes near you becomes defiled. You know, I mean, these are, these are harsh, harsh things. He talks about hell so much, but people don't want to talk about sin this day and age. They don't want to talk about punishment. They don't want to talk about hell. So they tend to ignore that stuff. But the problem is, it's real. Mm, mm. And there, are, there will be a few that go through the narrow gate to heaven. And unfortunately, there will be the many that take the broad road to perdition, as we used to say. Mm. I'm showing my age at that point, but yeah, <laughs> to hell. And it's a broad robe and there are many on it.
1: We've been talking with Bill Mounds about his book. It's called Why I Trust the Bible. It's a great resource. It unpacks all of the contemporary arguments that are that your children are facing right now and uh, what they will be facing in years ahead. So, get a copy of this book. It's a great resource. Find out more information by giving us a call 508-362-7070. That's 508-362-7070. And I hope that there's something you know about us as a ministry. We are not interested in pawning books. We're not a bookstore. We don't sell books. We talk about very important subjects, things that I myself find. This is not solicited from publicists or anyone else. I find these books, they have impacted me, and I am personally recommending them to you because I really believe that they're important and they're a resource that will help you in your Christian walk. This is not something I'm being paid to tell you. I really believe in the programming that we're doing here on a regular basis. And if you believe in the program that we're doing, consider supporting us. Consider getting behind us, especially during this mid-year fundraiser. Uh, This is a time where you can show that you're listening that you're concerned about what's happening in our world, and you want a biblical direction, one that comes from Scripture and the Word of God that keeps our mind fixed on the gospel and advancing God's work. I, we try to do that every single day, and if you have been blessed, consider being a blessing in return. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call, 508 362 7070. Well, today we're continuing our study here in Psalm 78 with my good friend Chap Bettis as he unpacks this beautiful psalm and explaining to us what our roles and responsibilities are in discipling the next generation. What are the things that we need to impress upon their heart, their soul, and their mind? Today we unpack that as Chap Bettis takes us once again to Psalm 78.
0: Why does God command us, whether it's fathers, parents, or even the church to one another, to speak to one another about the works of God and the wonders of God. For what purpose? Well, that brings us down to verse 7 and 8, which really in some ways is like the hinge verse of the psalm, this whole psalm. that we're to tell the next generation the works of God and the words of God so they will trust, remember, and obey. So that they will trust, remember, and obey. Let me read verse, starting in verse 6. They were to rise and to tell their children, and, and I didn't have time to address this, but there's really four generations presented here. There's, so, but for what purpose? So, verse 7, so they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works and keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. So the reason we tell each other, the reason we talk to each other is because we want the next generation. We want each other here to walk with God, not to be like those generations who are stubborn and rebell- rebellious, whose heart is not loyal. Just remind us again, thinking specifically to the parents, one of the privileges God has given us, you didn't just have a baby. There's a, there's a human soul that's going to live forever in heaven Or hell apart from Christ. What is the most important goal you can have for a child? Well, if you're an American, get a good education, make a lot of money, have a good time. If eternity is real, and it is, then if I am discipling this new soul that God has given me, then the greatest goal is getting into heaven, not necessarily getting into Harvard. And so that needs to be the north star of our parenting. That needs to be the north star of our discipleship. And here here the writer seems to pull, tease that out, and comes up with three things. And I want us just to look at those. One is a heart walk of faith or confidence or trust. Scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And actually, you know this verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord God actually tells his people trust in me and lean not on your own understanding not only that but there's a second one there which is to not forget his works and I want to I want to just spend a little time on that because we often we can think about trust and faith we often think about that and we'll think about the third phrase there obedience but sandwiched between trust and faith is not forgetting his works I want us to think about that just a minute I don't know about you I tend to be forgetful. Things that our kids will say, oh yeah, we did this. I say, Really? I don't remember that. That's why I'm always the one taking pictures of our family events because yeah, I, can't, I have a hard time remembering what, what it was looking like there. Can I suggest that if you are struggling with obedience in some area, that, you, that scratching underneath you can ask, what am I trusting in? What am I remembering? Where is there unbelief behind this sin I'm struggling with? Charles Spurgeon had this to say about Lamentations 321. Follow along. It's a little lengthy, but I think it's, it's really helpful. Lamentations 321, Jeremiah wrote this. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Here's what Spurgeon had to say. Memory is frequently the bond slave of despondency. Despairing minds call to remembrance every dark foreboding in the past. "...and dilate upon every gloomy feature in the present. Thus memory clothed in sackcloth presents to the mind a cup of mingled gall and wormwood. There is, however, no necessity for this. Wisdom can readily transform memory into an angel of comfort. That many recollections which in the left hand bring so many gloomy omens may be trained to bear in its right hand a wealth of hopeful signs." As a general principle if we would exercise our memories more wisely we might in our very darkest distress strike a match that would instantaneously kindle the lamp of comfort there's no need for god to create a new thing upon the earth in order to restore believers to joy if we would prayerfully rake the ashes of the past we would find light for the present if we would turn the book of truth turn to the book of truth and the throne of grace their candle would soon shine as aforetime. Be it ours to remember the loving kindness of the Lord, to rehearse his deeds of grace. Let us open the volume of recollection which so happily illuminated the memorials of mercy, and we shall soon be happy. What's he saying? He's saying God has given us the tool of memory. And we actually can choose what we remember. Paul said, forgetting what is behind and pressing towards what is ahead. So there's a way in which we as Christians are encouraged to forget what is behind. But Spurgeon is saying, and we'll see in the rest of this passage, God is saying, don't forget my grace in the past. Don't forget those wonderful works. How God has worked in your heart. Can I ask you this? Do you have times... Where you know that God showed up in your life. Where you can look back and you can say, that, that uh, conversation, that answer to prayer, that job, I didn't need to get that job. God answered prayer. And I'm not talking about finding the parking space, okay? That's, that doesn't count. For me, those things maybe happen three times a year. Not a lot. They're not every day. But you know, you know God had his eye on you and he was gracious. What what scripture is saying is, don't forget those. Write those down. Set up memorials. One of my other Bibles, I often will write those in the front. Because in a minute, we're going to see about how the nation of Israel, as they face trials, God is saying, remember how I delivered you in the past. These past miracles are to give you faith for the days ahead. And so sandwiched, between here, sandwiched between that they might put their confidence in God, trusting in God, faith in God, and just a raw obedience. Keep his commands. Sandwiched between that is saying, don't forget how God has worked. And I think that if you would scratch underneath some, a sin you're wrestling with, that you're saying, I know in my conscience, I'm disobeying the Lord. I know it. Underneath that is unbelief, yes, Hebrews would say. You're not believing God's promises. You're not believing that he actually wants what's best for you. But also, alongside, to aid your faith, I think this passage was saying, you're forgetting about all the times that God has been gracious and graciously apply, um, met with you. Being able to trace the history of God's working in our lives will give you strength so that you will be a stronger Christian next year than you were this year because you're able to trace God's hand and it's not a fake confidence. Oh yeah, I believe God's going to do it. No, it's a settled confidence. I know God is going to show up through this trial.
1: I've been thinking about this line a while now, really for years, as I've considered just the legacy of what I've been given here at Songtime, passed on by our late founder Dr. John DeBrine, now entering into our 60th year of ministry coming up. And all of this time and legacy that we've had to proclaim the gospel, many voices, one message, and what God has given to me as this microphone, this opportunity to talk to all of you. But it's not just the Songtime audience. It's also my church and my family and my my loved ones and the people that are close to me. I'm asking this question, what will I leave as a legacy? What will what will people remember of me? will those who come behind me find me faithful I'm remembering that line from that Steve Green song that those who come behind us find us faithful and I like to change the words of that uh, Steve Green's a friend of mine so I, I'm sure I could do this without offending him but I want those who come behind me to find God is faithful. What do they hear from me what what do they What are the memories that I'm sharing with you? There's so much that I've welcomed you into my life because I want you to hear from me that God is working, that God is doing great things. I want to talk up God so much because that is the thing that's most important in my life. And those are often the things that can go over, over, under said. We, We don't communicate the things that God has been doing to us in our personal walk. But what I want to tell you is your testimony is not just how you came to Christ 20, 30 40 50 years ago but what has God done in your life recently how has God been working in you and are you growing in your faith and if you are where do you see his fingerprints and his hand moving and his spirit moving in your life that should be something that is always fresh on our lips so let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I hope that this encourages you, and if it has, as has encouraged me, I hope that you'll return that encouragement through your gifts and your donations. Write to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as we wrap up our study with Chap Bettis in Psalm 78. We'll talk about some very practical uh, applications to this psalm, but also give you an encouragement on how this psalm can be a, a really drumbeat for how you pass on your faith to those who come behind us. Psalm 78. God wants His people to know their history, to remember
0: their history and to talk about their history. Why? So that we will live lives
1: of trust and faith in God. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace. We want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.